Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Uh, Darren and a bunch of our team members are over in India. If you're on the Garden um, Facebook page, you've seen some pictures and heard some narrative of some of the good things that are happening there. Um, but that means I get to be here this morning, uh, and I want to continue a conversation. We've had a couple of weeks with uh, various guests, uh, but I want to kind of circle back around to our kind of springtime series in fall and spring in which we've just been taking a closer look at Jesus and how he invites people into the journey uh, and what the implications of that are. And today I'd like to look at a couple of stories that the Gospel of Mark kind of sandwiches together as Jesus uh, is on his way uh, to Jerusalem to die. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus has uh, invited the disciples for the first time in two and a half years to speak out what they think about him and who they believe him to be. You are the Christ, Peter says, the son of the living God. Jesus says, yes, that's correct. And now let me tell you what that means. It means that I'm going to go to Jerusalem. It means that I'm going to be betrayed. It means that I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be killed by crucifixion. I'm going to then arise again on the, on the third day. And they treated Jesus like the adults in Charlie Brown. So it was this, this noise that was happening, uh, but nobody was, took him seriously, right? So he says this three times from Mark chapter 8 through to where we are here in chapter 10. He's going to say it one more time. So we're in between the second and third time that Jesus makes this uh, statement of what it means for him to be the Christ, right? Uh, And because they had their own expectations of that, they, they resist every single time what Jesus says, even though he doesn't just say it, he um, invites them to consider it in various stories. So, so along the way, Jesus is regularly interrupted. And in fact, probably half of the most powerful of Jesus' teachings, as well as the miracles that occur, occur because somebody interrupted him. It wasn't apparently on the agenda for the day. He was aware, however, of what God was doing in any given moment and so could be ready uh, to respond, uh, and, and uh, out, of, out of who he was, these kinds of things occur. And so we'll, we'll jump into the middle of this in Mark chapter 10 uh, the, this morning uh, as we consider what, what it really means to follow Jesus. So if you have Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. If not, we'll look at the screen. Uh, Jesus um, then is on his way to Jerusalem, and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. As Jesus then started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. Nobody's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, not give false testimony, not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in the heavens then. Come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. So this is a, a, a strange juxtaposition uh, of stories. And uh, in it, Jesus is trying, I think, to say something to us along the way about what it means to follow him and who can, can do that uh, and what it will cost them to do that. So we'll just look at these very, very quickly um, this morning. The first one is a very familiar one, one that we love, uh, one that we buy needlepoint and hang in our kids' rooms, right? This is, I love this little story. Until you figure out what it's talking about, then you want to take the needlepoint down because it, it's not quite what we had in mind, right? So the story begins, they were bringing children to him. Mark's gospel doesn't tell us who the they were, but people were bringing children to Jesus. The word for children here is in a small rugrats, right? The, the, the little ones. Uh, to, 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 uh, but the disciples were just acting out of what they believed was going on, were rebuking them. And the reason they did this uh, makes perfect sense. Um, children had no value. Uh, in many cases, the mortality rate, uh, infant mortality rate was 50%. So children often were not even named until they were a year old. To name was to attach. It's not that they weren't loved. It's just that you have to protect your heart knowing that this one whom you love could die within the next five to six months. So it's those children that were being brought to Jesus, right? Is remember, too, that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And to, to, to get in contact with a child was to risk ritual contamination because who knows where children have been crawling. And so a person who is rendered ceremonially unclean by contact with children couldn't gain access to the temple. And everybody knows where Jesus is going. His first stop is going to be the temple. So we don't, within the next couple of days, he's going to be unclean for a week if one of these rugrats gets in. So we're protecting Jesus. We think we're doing the right thing. And as so often happens, Jesus comes unglued 
And this is the strongest language that Mark can use to describe Jesus' anger. Indignant is really mild in the translation. Jesus just explodes on these guys for their protection of him. And you, the disciples, I feel sorry for them in, in, in Mark, except that, but partly because I just identify with them so much. Any, anybody else? The disciples in Mark are just kind of clueless. They don't get it most of the time. And here's one of those things. They think they're doing the right thing, right? And Jesus just unloads on them. Why? Uh, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. The kingdom belongs to such as these, which was really news to them. What does he mean, the kingdom belongs to such as these? Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the, ah, the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Part of what Jesus is arguing here for is not the superiority of children, not their innocence, not their vulnerability, not their trustworthiness. I've only had three kids, but not a one of them has been trustworthy <laughs> or innocent. Right? So it's not some merit that children have that Jesus says, be like a child. He's saying, if the kingdom can only be received, it can't be grasped, it can't be grabbed, it can't be attained. And what is it that makes children, children like this, have capacity to receive the kingdom is exactly the reason you want to keep them out, namely their emptiness. Namely, they don't bring anything to the table. Namely, they're not counting on anything to earn them access. Children receive the kingdom because they have nothing better to do. Children receive the kingdom not because they're exceptionally meritorious. In fact, they're not. But children receive the kingdom because they bring nothing to the table. They make no demands. They have no expectations. They are a gaping hole of neediness. Anybody who's had a child knows exactly what I'm talking about. That's why they can receive the kingdom. Because they don't bring anything to the table. Keep that in mind, because I think now you're seeing why Mark juxtaposes these two stories together. Why the disciples kept the children out, but had no problem with the rich young ruler getting in. Do you see? Jesus is beginning the process of taking their worldview of who was blessable and turning it upside down. So, notice how this story ends. It's a beautiful image. Jesus doesn't just, because people are asking this great rabbi to lay his hands on, to bless, to transfer, to be an agent of blessing to them. It was a very common, common practice, much in the way, not just simply praying for. By the way, if, if we could develop a culture of blessing in our garden church here, that would be so cool where our communications to our children, our communications to one another are not just a, a southern bless his heart. You all know what it, that means, right? Here's somebody whose driveway doesn't go all the way to the garage. Bless his heart. You, you know what I mean? But instead, a culture of blessing that, that really seeks 
not personally, but to be a transference of God's blessing on our children and our marriages and our, and our brothers and sisters and our roommates, praying God's God bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, a culture of blessing, especially in a culture of, of distraction that we live in, a, a culture of, of, of put down that we live in a culture of disintegration that we live in, a culture in which decency is now up for the highest bidder, why don't we become a culture shaper of blessing, right? That's not what the sermon's about, but there you go. Um, uh, so, 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 so Jesus is blessing them, and notice how this story ends. He took them in his arms. I love this image of Jesus. Uh, he is rolling around on the ground with these little rugrats. He gets down to their level physically like he has come down to our level spiritually in incarnation. He wraps his arms around them. He, he wrestles with them. I don't know if that fits your picture of Jesus, but it doesn't. It's your picture that needs to change. And he blesses them. And then unconcerned about whether he's got stuff clinging to him, he gets up and he goes his way, right? Where we get this next story. He started on his way and a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. For Mark, this is an interesting word. It means fell on his, fell on his knees is not just a, a, a pleading. There's a, a tone of worship that's involved here. It's a a word that is used in other places to describe kneeling in worship, kneeling in prayer. So here is this young man. Now, now if you can imagine this, Jesus has just played with the kids, right? He's still got grass stains on his robe. And he's moving down the road. And here's this young man who comes and, and, and kneels almost in a worshipful, prayerful sense in front of him, right? And asks what is really an important religious question. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And the images of this guy kneeling here, and Jesus just keeps on walking. Why do you call me good? Because the guy's kneeling. Jesus doesn't stop. He doesn't even look at the guy until halfway through the story. Have you noticed this? Jesus is a jerk to this guy. If your picture of Jesus doesn't give him permission occasionally to be a jerk to you, you need a new picture of Jesus. We okay? So here's, this, here's the image. The guy's kneeling, right? Jesus is moving on, and, and he asks them a religious question, which, any, did you notice the butter? Good teacher. Jesus notices the butter. Oh, I see what you're about. You've figured out how to play the game. Well, let's just change the rules here a little bit for you. Why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. Don't know if you catch the irony there. And then he says, you know the commandments. And then he proceeds to get them wrong. Now, most of you perhaps have memorized the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. And you'll notice that the order's wrong. Did you catch that? He misses the first three, you know, 
no graven image, don't take the name in vain, Sabbath, all of that. So he sets those aside and just gets right to the guts of them. Numbers 5 through 9. But he can't even remember them in the right order. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Jesus is doing this on purpose. It's not that he's being stupid or that it's just slipped his mind. I think he's doing this very intentionally, very deliberately. Right? So, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud. Wait, what? Anybody remember that as one of the last? No, that's not in there. Oh, and then the last one, honor your father and mother, is actually the fifth one in the table of ten. You remember this? Everybody tracking with me on this? So Jesus, who has these things memorized since childhood that form the backbone of his devotion, remember a, 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 a Jewish boy and girl would have memorized the entire Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, in which these ten words appear by the time he was eight, year, eight years old. He would have memorized them verbatim. It would, have been, it would have been like the words to happy birthday to him. They, 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 they would have bubbled up, and I'm thinking in the right order. Right? It's like when I was a, uh, traveling with youth of the mission way back in the, in the, in the, in the 70s, we had a, had a song that taught us the fruit of the Spirit, except in order to make the lyric work, it juxtaposed the last two words of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, temperance, goodness, faithfulness. That's how I memorized it because that's how the song went. That's not how actually Galatians says the fruit of the Spirit goes. The last two are flipped. Why? Well, because that fit the song. I memorized the song and I never get it wrong until I try and get it right. Anybody do the same thing? You've memorized stuff, right? By virtue of music, you've got the melody in your head, you carry it with you. Well, that's how it would have been for Jesus with these 12, or these 10 words, and defraud isn't in there. So I'm wondering if he's peering into this guy's soul just a little bit. I wonder what's going on. How did you become a wealthy young ruler? Did it have something maybe to do with defrauding? Did it have something to do with your inability, unwillingness to honor your father and your mother? Those last two, the punchline. But Jesus just says it and passes on. He's still walking, but you can hear the angst in the guy's heart when he says, teacher, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. Look at Jesus' response in the next verse. He looked at him. For the first time in the whole conversation, he looked at him. And he loved him. He heard something in this young man's expression that stopped him in his tracks. We don't know what it was, but if you've heard it, you, you recognize it. Maybe it was a, I've tried, I've tried. I've tried to do the religious thing, and it's just not enough for me. I recognize in my own soul there is a longing for something more than simple obedience to the ten words. That hasn't gotten me what I really want, which is relationship. The question is a valid one. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? The question, 
however, has a, has, is a non-starter. You can't inherit eternal life. How do I make sure eternal life comes to me? He is asking. And it, remember, for him, eternal life is not going to heaven when I die. That wasn't a part of the Jewish cosmology at the time. It was, how do I enter into the life that you are promising? How do I enter into the life of the kingdom of God? You would think that that would be an important question to answer. How many want to know the answer to that question? How do I get in? How do I inherit? How do I receive the life of the age to come that you are talking about? So when Jesus goes through this song and dance, if you will, and sees that, no, this is really a live question for this guy. This isn't just a religious game that he's playing. There's a heart behind this. Even though he doesn't quite know what he's talking about, Jesus looked at him and loves him. Loves him. And then with a smile on his face and a tear, I think, in his eye, he says, just one thing then that you lack Go. Wait a minute. One thing you lack. Lack is a word that describes empty. This man is full. How can Jesus say lack when he has everything that his culture, both religious and secular has defined as proof of blessing. One thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in the heavens, the age to come. Then come, follow me. Please notice, Jesus is not saying that the selling everything and giving to the poor is how you get eternal life. It's the following of Jesus that is how you get eternal life. The reason this young man can't follow Jesus is because he has no lack. His hands are too full to receive. There is no emptiness. He has better things to do. His life is filled he has a running tally in his bank account of the blessing of God. He has all of the religious conformity that there is going for him. And the one thing he lacks is lack. The one thing he lacks is emptiness. The one thing he lacks is neediness. The one, he, wants to, he wants the kingdom, but he wants it as a, as a supplement. He wants, he wants eternal life. Just, just see how this works? He wants eternal life, but he wants Jesus to come in and kind of spackle over the stuff that doesn't quite work right. But leave the integral structure the same. I want to manage my life with the resources that I have, with the skills that I have developed. I want to keep the pieces together. But I, I recognize that there's, yeah, we're kind of, uh, but so eternal life, it seems to me, is the way to fix that. So what do I need?
to do? What, what do I need to add to my otherwise perfect life so that eternal life comes to me? A reasonable question, don't you think? And Jesus just says, well, your hands are too full with your own self-sufficiency. You don't have any room for eternal life. You need empty hands. You need an empty heart. You need desperation. You need longing. Not just for convenience sake, not just to spackle over the cracks. You don't understand those cracks. They're not just surface cracks. The cracks in the bedrock of your foundation, those riches, yeah, they're treasures on earth. They won't be very helpful when the kingdom of the heavens arrives in fullness. They're not going to be useful. I'm juxtaposing Matthew and Mark here, but you follow the train. And here's what's fascinating. The coming and following Jesus, which is how he actually gets eternal life. Where's Jesus going, by the way? He's going to Jerusalem to a cross to die. Come and follow me. Where? To Jerusalem, to a cross, to die. That's how eternal life comes. If you have better things to do, Jerusalem is not on your uh, bucket list. If your hands are full with your own self-sufficiency, with your own religious duty fulfilled, the box is all checked, I believe all of the right stuff, then Jerusalem is not the scene you want to be making, much less the cross. And so the young man, in a moment, interprets what Jesus is saying at the very base level, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then... Jesus turns around and looks at us, his disciples, his followers. How hard it is, he said, for a rich man, a rich woman, somebody whose hands are full of their own self-sufficiency by whatever means they measure it, how hard it is for those kinds of people to enter the kingdom of God. Notice the response of the disciples. Next slide, please. They were amazed at his words. He got through to them. They were amazed at his words. Children, he, and, and Jesus sees it registering on their faces. Children, he says. Look, it's hard to enter the kingdom. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Now, now, people have trying to exegete the life out of this poor little thing for the last 2,000 years. You can get a camel through the eye of a needle, but it won't look like a camel when you're through. What he's saying here, this is just, a, it's a common phrase. Like we would use phrases like a stitch in time saves nine, right? Or, or you know, what, 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 it's just a common, it, 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 but it's intended to signify how impossible something is. So this is what he's saying. It's just impossible. Why? Why? At this, his disciples are even more amazed. Whoa, I thought it was hard. You've made it impossible. Yeah, Jesus says, that's true. 
with y'all? It is impossible. Fortunately, it doesn't depend on y'all. It's God that makes it possible. That's the only way to enter into the kingdom. So come empty. If filling is what you want, if icing is what you want, don't come. If filling is what you want, come empty. You see what he's doing here? So, so when Jesus, the real Jesus, the annoying Jesus, the frustrating Jesus, invites us into this moment, we need to be clear. We come empty. His mission, he will say over and over again, is not to the well, but to the sick. They're the ones who need a physician. They're the ones who know they need a physician. And I guess, I guess the, you know, why, why, why bother talking like this here? Because all around you are children. They come in all sizes of body. Some of them have been on the planet for 35, 40, 50 years. And they're as empty now as they were when they were born. And we make decisions about who gets in and who gets out based on the externals. What do they have to bring? What do they have to offer the community, the kingdom? And every once in a while, Jesus brings annoying and frustrating people into our lives. Doesn't he? I'm, I'm prayerful that I'm not one of those for you. But. And if you can't identify anybody in your life who is that annoying, frustrating person, there's a very good chance you're it. <laughs> right? People that are, they bring nothing to the party. Don't you have a short list of people that would be fabulous if they came to faith? You know, I have a friend who has been praying for decades for Madonna. He just thinks if she came to real faith that the world would spin properly. And we all have, whether her or not, we all have a list of people that, yeah, Jesus doesn't have a list. And if he did, it would include the people that you don't think ought to belong. So he invites us as his disciples to set aside our preconceived ideas about who gets in, who his mission is actually for, and invites us to come hands open, hearts open, need defining us. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? We don't like to be loved for no good reason. Because that puts God in charge, not us. And if you have still a residual bit of the original lie that God is not good, it's Genesis 3 lie, then to be loved by him for no good reason puts you in harm's way. Because he might hurt you. He might take advantage of you. And this shows up in all kinds of ways. And Jesus just says, I've met him. He's really good. But you've got to come empty. 
What is it that you have to sell? He only said this to one guy. Jesus is not saying you have to be poverty stricken. He's just saying you have to look and see what your hands are filled with. Empty them. Become empty. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.